Welcome to this bonus episode of Tim Talk, the podcast as of late, mostly about the DC animated universe, co-created by Bruce Tim. I am Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And uh, we are here this week with our first ever fully dedicated episode to Scooby-Doo because the uh, the new animated movie Scoob dropped as of this recording literally last night, or I guess technically two nights ago because Cameron mm-hmm. started watching it fucking midnight on Thursday. I did. It was, it, it felt, you know, there, there's a, a sense of normalcy being able to watch a movie on a Thursday, like a new movie on a Thursday night. Yeah. Like I made popcorn for myself. <laughs> I don't usually, this is very dumb, I usually watch everything on my computer screen, and my TV yeah. screen, which is right in front of me, uh, usually stays pretty idle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, no, I'm going to like turn on the TV TV, I'm going to have yeah. popcorn, I'm going to watch a great animated film, and boy howdy, you, did you, uh, did you <laughs> how many things could have gone wrong. Did you arrange a series of like Funko Pops in front of you so you had to like, just kind of like slightly tilt your head to the side to look around someone? Oh, that's smart, I didn't think about that. You know, maybe uh, occasionally, like, turn around and, like, shush the poster behind you like they're making too much noise to get that full movie-going experience. Oh, I don't have that much confidence to, to interact <laughs> with someone in the movie theater. <laughs> or at least give them the occasional passive-aggressive glare. Oh, oh, my God. So many passive-aggressive <laughs> glares. So, I, I take it that you maybe weren't super keen on this movie, Cameron? I, oh, God. No. I will say, okay. let me say at the top. Let me say at the top. I don't think any of our listeners have kids, but if, if you are a listener that has a kid, uh, on the Scoob website, there is this awesome, like, 40 to 50 page packet of just, like, activities you can you can do with your kids. It's, like, cooking things, like, how to design fondant. Uh, how to design what? What's the, like, the, the decorative icing? Is that fondant? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Okay. I can't uh, bake. Neither can I. Yeah. Um, this is just from YouTube videos. Um, it's just like a really, really cool packet that's like, you know, a good weekend's worth of activities. Okay. Um, so if anyone does have a young child uh, or niece or nephew or cousin, uh, I recommend downloading it because it, it is just kind of like a really cool little fun activity book. Uh, how many of the activities have you tried? Uh, none of them because I don't have a printer. <laughs> foiled by technology (laughs) yep once again all right well i'll make a note of that to put it down in the show notes of the uh the packet in case someone wants to download it my my positive thing about this movie has been said okay well we do want to get into it and obviously we're going to go full spoilers although i feel like this movie is more or less kind of spoiler proof to a large degree but maybe there's like some fun surprises along the way Mm -hmm. um but before we do that i mean it's worth acknowledging something we've been talking about a little bit which is that this movie was decided like chosen to be released straight onto video on demand or SVOD as we're gonna probably call it throughout the episode Mm -hmm. rather than do a theatrical release um something we're seeing happen generally at the moment especially like kids entertainment they're like well what what the fuck let's just put it up anyways because that'll still do hopefully decently well so Mm -hmm. I forgot to check uh did Artemis Fowl come out yesterday or is that next week uh, I have no idea because I don't care. That is next week. Okay. Okay. Um, don't give two shits. I never read the book, although I had a copy of it growing up. I never bothered to read it. I've heard it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie looked terrible, so I just didn't really give give a shit. But sometime soon? I mean, I feel like the conversation right now is primarily around trolls. Right. And then now I think this will continue the conversation. Yes. Uh, and I did. I had a conversation 
with a couple of people throughout the week. Uh, big shout out to uh, my mom. Always the harbor of knowledge. Yeah. She knows what she's talking about. She does. Hi, mom. <laughs> so we had a really nice talk because uh, she, she used to work at Blockbuster. So she knows a lot of the internal stuff that the theaters have to go through, um, especially in this fight between streaming and, and theatrical stuff. And so she sent me a couple numbers, which were really interesting. So in mm-hmm. a theater setting, uh, when a movie drops in theaters, first yeah. 10 days, uh, studios get 90%. Then after the 10th day, it flips. Because 10 days, that's uh, the first two weekends. Oh, okay. So I guess I'd always thought it was uh, like a gradual changeover. That, like, the percentage no, it is a hard shifting. flip. Oh, I didn't know that. That's really uh, interesting. Yeah. And, and the number has drastically gone down over the years, um, mm-hmm. which is why the you know there there's a very equal relationship between how much how what percent the theater gets and the rise of ticket prices um because the theater still has to you know sustain itself so you have that hard 10 percent. the studio is, is missing out on 10 percent of the profits from their eyes when they go straight to digital when it's when it's amazon and itunes um the platform only takes three percent oh, of, of the profit so from a studio perspective, there's definitely a lot more to be gained going straight digital if they see mm-hmm. similar numbers coming out of it. Okay, yeah. So like if if a movie gets people spend like collectively if an audience spends like a hundred million dollars uh, on a on a weekend, which would probably be kind of high for video but i mean that's what trolls did right Didn't yeah trolls trolls got 100 million opening weekend yeah so yeah exactly so if, if a movie's coming out straight to digital it's 100 million dollars the studios are only losing three percent versus ten percent so obviously if they're seeing similar numbers why would they not want to do it this way yeah but it's also three percent forever so there's never that flip oh oh that's true yeah so when you have yeah. movies that, that are like avatar or like um greatest showman or even book smart that have their bump later in their theatrical life, mm-hmm. you know, that's great for theaters because that means theaters get more money back. Um, oh, but for true. studios, yeah. they're just like, you know, this is bullshit. That's supposed to be our money. And so when you look at those numbers, there's definitely like you, you can see why the theaters and why AMC specifically is like puffing its chest out so much. Yes, I guess the, the test will basically be to see if the actual numbers that are happening are close enough to a theatrical distribution to make it worth the studios wanting to do it this way going forward. Yeah, but like, it's still something you can't even test right now because, as we talked about before, Trolls, a couple of reasons Trolls did so well. One, we haven't had a movie come out in two months. Two, yeah. kids have been locked inside for two months. Yes. Three, there was no competition. Yes. <laughs> and so when you take away these three factors, which are very unique factors to the, to the moment will streaming still make the same kind of money and i think scoob will be an indication of that Mm -hmm. so i don't know it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this movie um you know because we'll we'll when we get into the full review we'll get into it but like i would like to see more from this yes so I'm I'm hoping it does well like i i you know i'm i'm glad we contributed to uh it's it's weekend box office if you want to call it that but it's the the way it rolled out was it was 20 bucks for rental and 25 for like rent to buy mm-hmm. basically which is like that's definitely a lot for a one-off rental but at the same time that's 
at least for us in LA, that's a cost of one ticket. So yeah, yeah, that's that's one ArcLight ticket. Yeah, and at the same time too, it's you have forty eight hours, so I could easily like ping everyone else in my family who has our same Amazon login. I'm like, hey, if you want to watch Scoob, like it's up for forty eight hours, you can go do it. Yeah, I I just bought I flat up bought it. Um, are you, but are you are you happy with that decision still, Cameron? Nope. No, no, but no, what, no, what's no. even dumber is I forgot that through work I get all WB films. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought it at like eleven. I bought it at like eleven p.m. Thursday. Yeah. And then at twelve oh one, I checked the app, and I'm like, "Fuck, it's already fucking up." It was up on your. I couldn't have waited system. an hour. <laughs> well, well, hey, you know, you even if you weren't super hot in the movie, you contributed to its financial success, which is probably a good thing in the long run. <sighs> Yeah. Well, okay. Do, do you have more to say on like the, the kind of the SVOD stuff here? Or do you want to actually get into the review? Um, I, I'm just trying like, I still don't know how you fix the situation. I don't know. It, it's certainly an interesting shift, but I mean, I think if you're talking like broad changes, I definitely think we're going to see in general, more stuff being in more premium style content, stuff that would normally get put in a theater being targeted for video on demand or streaming platform release. I think we are going to see a reduced theatrical window in general going forward. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and those are trends that are already happening that I think this just uh, accelerates. Yeah, because my fear is what's going to happen is if these streaming videos continue to do well, which, you know, I, I still want them to do well, um, yeah. it's going to make a stronger argument for the theater to kind of fight sorry for the studio to fight the theaters more and we i could potentially see them arguing a smaller percentage for the theater which in turn yeah. would raise ticket prices which in turn would make more people want to go to streaming which would yeah. just continue the cycle until theaters are you know either this incredibly luxurious experience where you're paying like 65 dollars for a ticket yeah um, or, there's like a manicure and becoming... pedicure involved while you're yeah. watching. Hey, Someone is feeding you so this bad, like actually. luxury food. Yeah, it's just grapes. Someone just come hand delivers grapes right to your mouth. Yeah. Um, although that won't work now. Maybe they have gloves on. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I, you know, we might see more subscription-based models. You know, in this vein of either the AMC method or Alamo Drafthouse kind of does a yeah. similar sort of thing too. Um, we'll probably see a bit of that. I think also with the because the, the Paramount decrees actually did get revoked, right? We talked about yeah, it. Yeah, they did. So with that happening, I wouldn't be surprised if we see studios and streaming distributions start to buy out theaters. I mean, we already saw a bit of that with Amazon contemplating, or in the news at least, Amazon considering buying out AMC theaters. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to see that start to come into play too. And, and I think what ultimately this boils down to is it's just going to become siloed content and distribution that if you want to watch stuff from Disney, you're going to have to go to a Disney distribution method or, yeah, or Disney Cinemark. House. Yeah. You're going to have to go to a Disney theater. You're gonna have to go to a Disney streaming service and um, you know, the other studios that don't have that built in money base or like distribution system are yeah, probably going to, they're going to get consolidated and mm -hmm. they're going to have to like start teaming up basically to keep up with, Netflix, Amazon, Disney. Um, Warner. And so ultimately, this is just going to be worse for everybody. <laughs> I, I think if in an ideal world, what I think they should do to kind of compromise on both sides is the theater chain should get a higher percentage. I'm going to say 
for three weekends. The studio mm-hmm. still the studio still gets the majority of the money for three weekends. So that would be what, uh, fifteen days? No, whatever. Yeah, um, like eight, eighteen days. Eighteen days. Like eight, eighteen days. Um, and then um, studio or sorry, theater gets ninety five percent after that. But studio gets to put it online right after the three weeks. Mm, interesting. So yeah, then that definitely. would, since they're not making as much in theaters, that will cause theaters to want to turn movies quicker. Uh, yeah. Which will make the, the studios happier because now they can show more of their content. Mm-hmm. So instead of having this, um, this like chokehold of like, you have to show Storks 3 if you want to show Fast <laughs> 9. I, I don't want to see either. <laughs> exactly. So. Uh, <laughs> Also, I'd love for those two franchises to overlap. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think if you have this kind of quicker cycle of film, then there won't be as much of this kind of bullying from studios of like, hey, you have to show A in order to show B. I'm like, well, we have time yeah. to show both now because we're only showing this for three weeks and we're only showing that for four weeks. I, I agree with you. That's probably the right answer. Uh, the reason it won't happen is it requires both studios and theater chains to make compromise and to make concessions and they won't do that. I know. So I don't know. I mean, I'm, I am very curious to see what ends up being the, uh, the result of this and you and I recording on the Saturday after it came out. So there's really no box office numbers yet to, to talk about. Um, but, uh, you know, so in our next proper episode, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. Um, but I don't know. Should we, should we talk about the movie itself now? Let's talk about, this movie i don't even want to call it a scooby-doo film okay so let let me i'm gonna go first yes i feel like i I need to i need to like make sure you have a nice clear long runway to really (sighs) get start warming up over here your rant out here and i think it's it's very clear that you have like a, a much deeper affinity for scooby-doo and hanna-barbera at large than i do although to be fair i love love Mm scooby-doo um always have but it's not necessarily like super high up in my um my list of fandoms you know um it's it's not up there with my james bonds my batmans my star wars and my star trek and i honestly i don't before recording this podcast i wouldn't have said that it's in like my top five fandoms either but I, I think you have a deeper passion for it. I have it. a passion for it, for sure. And I think I've just kind of been shoehorned into this, like, crazed Scooby-Doo fan. I mean, Cameron, if someone's <laughs> been doing the shoehorning, it's been you. <laughs> I mean, I know where it started. I know it was before we started Tim Talk. I was on Johnny's podcast where I was the special guest to talk Scooby-Doo. Yeah, but there was also our very famous Scooby Doo bait. <laughs> yes, yeah, but that was after that was after the Johnny podcast. I I don't even what were we what were we arguing about? Wasn't I saying? I think you I was said Scooby Doo two is better shit. than Scooby Doo one. Scooby Doo two is better than Scooby Doo, but 1. it's not. That's why you know. Get. You know who else agrees with me? Mr. Sunday Movies. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, what does he know? He's just some Australian prick. <laughs> but to be fair, Mason agrees with you. That's right. So. Uh, for those King of you who don't so. know, this is a reference to the Weekly Planet, the uh, the the podcast that inspired ours. They just did a couple episodes on Scooby Doo, but I, I think you have a a, a deeper stranglehold on this fandom than I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will, so I will say this: I thought this was fine. Mm-hmm. I I think that my sort of cynical read on it 
is that Warner Brothers was trying to figure out what IP they have to expand out into multi-film franchise. Looked at Hanna-Barbera and went, okay, there's tons of stuff here. We, how do we get a Hanna-Barbera universe, cinematic universe, off the ground? Well, our most famous character is Scooby-Doo. So why don't we basically make a Hanna-Barbera movie in the, the loose guise of a Scooby-Doo film? and use the Scooby element to appeal to fans and to market it and to get butts in seats. But really, it's not actually going to be about Scooby-Doo. Right. It's and about Mark Wahlberg doing his best Ryan Reynolds impression. Exactly. And I, and I think if that's the way they were going, I can't necessarily fault them for that because it is a smart strategy. And I think it's also reflected in the fact that in this movie, I enjoyed the broader Hanna-Barbera stuff much more than I enjoyed the Scooby element of it. Because I think the Scooby element was pretty slim. Yes. For the most part. Um, I will say this, though, that the first 15 minutes of this movie or so, maybe 15, 20 minutes of this movie, I absolutely loved. Oh, I, I will say up... I'll say the first third of the movie, like up to them uh, getting chased through the amusement park. Okay, yeah, I think that's a fair point. I was giddy. I was so excited. I was, it took me, you know, twice as long to get through this park because I was pausing every 10 seconds trying to like look in the background for something. Everything, yeah. And okay, so a quick kind of plot synopsis here. Like this movie very quickly on shows us the the origins of how Scooby and Shaggy met as like a, a kid and a puppy and then how they go on to meet Fred, Delph, uh, Daphne and Velma and form Mystery Inc. And then it jumps forward years later and they're trying to figure out how to progress things forward and it's pointed out to them and we'll, we'll get to this particular cameo later on. Oh, yeah, it's this... pointed out to them by a potential investor that Scooby and Shaggy might be the weak links in all of this. And so at that point, it basically separates Scooby and Shaggy from the rest of the crew. Scooby and Shag uh, get not abducted, but they end up teaming up with the new Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt to then try and stop Dick Dastardly. And it keeps the movie keeps the Mystery Inc. separate basically all the way up until the, the climax of the film. Mm-hmm. And... I kind of get to some degree why I, I think they were in a bit of a tight spot making this because we'd already had so many versions of Scooby-Doo, including the two theatrical movies that I think they were trying to find a way to do something a little bit different. I don't necessarily think they succeeded at it, but I get why they were trying to do it. Um, but the fun thing is, is that first, yeah, third of the movie or so, like it, it really hits all of the beats of a Scooby-Doo story, like super, super quickly. Like the team meets up, they discover a haunted house. They think there's a ghost going on. They discover that it's, you know, uh, a, a, a scheme and it's revealed and they form the team. And then there is a shot for shot recreation of the original Scooby-Doo oh, intro sequence. That. Oh, that's man, so I was, I was I, so like, excited. That for me, that goes up there on the list of uh, like movie moments that just had like 
big stupid fucking grin on my face it's up there with the uh the moment where they played the power rangers theme and the power rangers yeah. movie <laughs> we're just like you know what i know what they're doing they're emotionally manipulating my yearning for nostalgia but i'm letting it happen and i'm absolutely 100 on board for it um all of that stuff i thought was actually pretty fun uh i thought in general the characterizations were pretty decent a lot of them were a little hollow yeah. i thought of the scooby gang fred was the best interesting i thought zach efron was doing a great job oh, i just think like, voice wise yeah zach efron is is fucking spot on as fred yeah he does this great just sort of like well-intentioned but a little bit daft <laughs> yeah. fred um everyone else was like fine like uh, amanda seyfried is daphne i didn't even know that was her for the most part because she doesn't really have much to do yeah i feel like daphne and fred um, both I, get very short end like very short ended in this movie i i would agree with that i would say daphne especially because at least fred gets some pretty fun lines in there like fred gets some of the best lines if not the best line in the whole movie um i thought gene rodriguez was was good as velma like velma is just kind of like velmaing her way through the whole thing mm-hmm. um yeah will forte fine as shaggy um i mean i guess i'm a little bit biased because i just i love the fact that matthew lillard's been doing it for such a long time yeah and it yeah i agree it's so the fact that he wasn't was you know disappointing and frank welker is always great he was he was scooby but the, the the scooby stuff didn't work for me as well as like the dick dastardly stuff i actually really liked dick dastardly in this okay um i think it helps too that it's it's jason isaacs who i you adore just, yeah i i adore i absolutely adore jason we saw Isaacs. him a couple months ago pre-quarantine we did. oh my god he's just so dreamy even in person um and i i've been watching star trek so he's uh one of the major characters in star trek discovery season one so i've just been you know getting my jason isaac fix left and right love him um i i liked his story i liked his characterization I th- he was super fun i thought some of the, the humor was pretty good um i actually i liked the fact that it wasn't the real blue falcon that it was like brian brian blue falcons inept son and that dynamut hates working with him yeah i don't i actually i thought that was that part of it worked for me pretty well but i i can see where maybe your criticism comes from if i were to guess is that it's not really a scooby movie it's not a scooby-doo movie <laughs> not at all you're forgetting the other pointless cameo in there not even cameo He's, he was heavily featured in the advertising. Oh, uh, uh, Captain, Captain Caveman. Caveman. Yeah, uh, really well played by Tracy Morgan, but completely underutilized. You were trying to be so nice about this movie. Look, I I am... <laughs> Cameron, I feel like the, the podcast thrives on balance. Yeah, so that's true. I, oftentimes you're going to have I to defer... be a lot nicer if you want to balance this out. <laughs> I, I, I figure out what your stance is. And I just take the opposite. Yeah, that's that's fine. That's fair. As much as I possibly can. So I, I, I'm going to do my best to try and be the, the voice of positivity slash uh, measured criticism for this movie. Great. Should, do you want to take the should I let the leash go? Should I just let you go at this point? Uh, I, I, I will. I'll start off with the good things. Okay. There's a couple like there's a couple great cameos right at the top. Like um, when we first meet Shaggy, he's fun. He's standing in front of a place called Casey's Creations. Obviously yes. not to, to Casey Kasem. Now, um, I, I seem to recall, wasn't Casey Kasem a vegetarian? And as a result, Shaggy yes. was a vegetarian. And so that, that was one of the, the first things. I'm like, well, this is weird. Because when we first meet Shaggy, he's making a sandwich for Scooby. It's gummy worms, tater tots, ketchup leather, ketchup leather and liverwurst. 
uh, um, he would have had liverwurst if he didn't have it. Yeah, and I, I was with you. I was like, I'm, I was actually like looking at the sandwich. Like, do I see meat? Do I see any meat in there? I don't. Okay. And then yeah, yeah. He and I did pause and Google, and you. I don't know how, but there are recipes for vegan liverwurst. I don't. <laughs> I don't know who would want that. Uh, and I'm like, okay, you know, maybe there, there's a, there's a balance here. But then, uh, Scooby comes in and he puts all the meat on the sandwich. And I'm like, okay, so this is not. This is not so, Casey Kasem Shaggy. Within three minutes, you were out. You're like, Shaggy's no, no, not a I vegetarian. Let I let it go. Because uh, <laughs> they changed Shaggy's character. Not like if, if, if you just know surface Shaggy, it's the same character. But if, you, yeah. like, if, you, if you're really greedy for the details like I am, like the reason Mystery if, Inc. works is insane, Shaggy's family. If you're a Scooby fan like Cameron. Excuse me? If you're a deep, deep Scooby fan like Cameron. Yes. Uh, if, if you know Scooby, you know uh, Shaggy's family is rich, and they're the ones that fund all the Mystery Inc. adventures. Yes. And so the point, the, you know, the, the point of that they're looking for, you know, a sponsor or an investor doesn't make sense because it's supposed to be his parents. Right. Um, but you know, it's fine. We can we can change Shaggy a little bit. That's totally fair. Um, they, like you said, that first fifteen minutes when they when they do their first interaction and their first mystery. Mm-hmm. That was beautiful. I loved it. It was a pup named Scooby-Doo come yeah. to life, and it made me so happy. And the great thing is that it, it hits so many beats in such a short period of time. Like, you you get, like, an instant sense of who the characters are based on their Halloween costumes. Like, Fred and just, like, the Fred generic, is literally like, a not, Fred is literally a knight in shining armor. Yeah, he's a knight in shining armor. Uh, Daphne is... Referred to as Wonder Woman in like a pseudo Wonder Woman kind of like knockoff costume. And, and then, then I love the Yeah, I knew this was your favorite part. <laughs> I love that Velma is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, R- just... R- RGB. <laughs> uh, who is one of the, RBG. the most wonderful people in the entire world, Ruth mm-hmm. Bader Ginsburg. So I, I love that little moment. I love they go into the house and there's like, you know, a fake ghost. And they I love that like Daphne even for just a split second becomes the damsel in distress, even if it's like her just like falling behind the rest of them and getting harassed by the ghost. Like that they had that nod in there without going too overboard with it was great. Yeah. And from this point, I am in my mind, I'm set for another like teen Titans go to the movies. Like that was the bar I was expecting for this. Cause it's, it's still Warner brothers, you know, Warner brothers is great at shoehorning in these like very creative references because mm-hmm. we see it in the lego movie we saw it a lot in teen titans go to the movies and Hanna barbera has probably not as big of a backlog as dc comics but a pretty large backlog a for fans yeah for fans to like pick apart uh, yeah and and also like it had a it's it, it, the whole movie has a, a fairly decent run of like clever self-aware jokes in there mm-hmm. um you know like i thought it was amazing that when shaggy is like lonely because he doesn't have any friends he just like keeps cycling through different music genres and every song is all about being super lonely you know he gets like a, a one is the loneliest number on there yeah, those are backstreet listening. boys the backstreet boys and then he starts to listen i i clock that too like oh cameron's gonna love the yep, backstreet show me the boys meaning nod. of being lonely yep uh and then i love that he listens to a podcast from ira glass na- like na- who name checks himself yeah to go out there and like go find friends because it's like the whole point of the world. Like I thought that was fun. I liked when they're out on Halloween night and the hoodlums attack and they're all like super like health conscious hoodlums who are yeah, taking that his was, candy. Yeah, that was hilarious. Not to just be like goons, but to like point out the fact that like, candy's bad for their health. 
I'm like, okay, like I get where they're going with this. Like it's, you know, it's got a, like a self-aware comedy thread running through it. It knows what Scooby-Doo is. It knows how to like play these elements in a way that's super fun. Um, I think that humor didn't necessarily succeed throughout the rest of the movie entirely. It, but it, I just it, don't it think it, it right. was balanced well. Like you would yeah. have the, there was, there was like that shift from dramatic moment to comedy so quick and so like, um, like it felt like offbeat almost. Yeah. And, and I, I, I enjoyed the, the, um, what is it? The, the audio cues, like all the sound, all the sounds were the same from Scooby-Doo. It's the, like mm-hmm. when they like start to start running, they have, yeah. It's like, I don't have, yeah. yeah. Like the bats are like, yeah, yeah like that, that was there. very nostalgic. And that was, that was cool to have like audio nostalgia. Yeah. I think the movie starts to take a downturn uh, when we meet our special guest, 2002's very own Simon Cowell. I am 100% in agreement with you on that. Uh, yeah, they are looking for a potential investor in Mr. Inc. And it's Simon Cowell. So here, here was right off the bat when we meet Simon. There's something, and I don't know if you caught this, there's something about him that just looked off. He he looked like he, I mean, he was animated realistically. Yes, and so that that was one of the, my big problems, and it was the same with the security guard right at the top of the film. Um, mm-hmm. They're animated with human facial proportions, you know, and everything is kind of shrunk in on the face, and then when you you jump cut from him to Fred or him to Scooby, who have these very character you know stylized caricatured faces, mm-hmm. it looks so off. Um, and, uh, and then I'm like, why? And he, he also looks very like polar express E, uh, like his face is just like a little too cylindrical. Yeah. And I was looking at it. I'm like, if you took a screenshot of this and told me it was from Shrek two, I wouldn't bat an eye. And then I remembered Simon Cowell was also the special guest oh. in Shrek two oh and God, looked almost right. the exact same. From fucking 18 years ago. I I don't... And that's the thing. It's like, at times, the movie has really smart self-aware jokes. We've made a couple references to them. I have some more later that I'll bring up. But that, then there are times when it's like it has these like quote-unquote timely references. And that's probably the most egregious of all of them. It's like, why the fuck is Simon Cowell in this movie? Like, yeah. I, it, it, it felt like such an unnecessary addition. Like, I wasn't sure who that joke was for or it was meant to be a joke i'm like this could be literally anybody yeah and also like they they even make like a joke towards the end about like how you know he doesn't have time to find both kelly clarkson and take over the world yeah. uh and it's like obviously they're bringing him in because of american idol still but american idol is now a disney franchise there's that and then also it hasn't been re- i mean it's still ongoing obviously but like yeah it hasn't kelly been relevant clarkson in forever yeah, it's it's not relevant at all, and so like that's why I was a little bit surprised that was there to begin with, and I was like, okay, like th- that was the moment where I'm like, oh, this is probably not a good sign. Yeah. Um. So that, but you know, again, I looked past it. I'm still here. I'm still in it. Uh, where are my notes? Um. Yeah. So then, then they go bowling, and we meet the robots who are at the top are the fucking cutest things they I've are. ever seen. Yeah. So and, and then it turns into a fucking illumination film. 
that is the exact same note that I have is that I, th- I think there are pieces in here that elevate it above something like an illumination, but otherwise Warner's just decided to do their version of an illumination film. And the, like the, the, the animation style is like heightened, but a little bit generic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I imagine you're referencing the fact that like the little robots are clearly like a, their attempt at making minions. Yeah. And and I think these three, we have three stories, technically three and a half stories, all kind of mushed into this one blob. And mm. I think all three of them could have been their own movie. You have the Scooby gang film of just doing it as, as wonky as Teen Times go to the movies, where it's a Scooby movie, but the plot is them trying to like get public enough to get sponsors to fund their yeah. adventures. Like that's mm-hmm. fucking hilarious. That would be really funny. Yeah. And then you have Dick Dastardly who's having this like um, basically uh, despicable me kind of movie where he's this bad guy wanting to do bad things, but he's only doing them to get his dog back. Yeah, I, I liked that element. Um, so I, I watched it as my parents, specifically because my dad laughs like Muttley. Like we always call him Muttley because <laughs> he has that same like <laughs> kind of laugh. And so when it became clear pretty early on that like Muttley wasn't going to be in it, we were oh, all yeah, like, oh, yeah, immediately like Muttley's dead. I'm like, what the fuck is this film? Yeah, you I'm can't like, oh, kill wait, the Mutt- best like, sidekick. Muttley's not there. And then it becomes pretty quickly apparent that he's going to be there in some capacity because they keep making references to him. And by the time he eventually showed up, I loved the dynamic between Dick Dastardly and yes, Molly. Yes, that, that was very cute. It was really Almost cute. Almost as much really as funny. like, maybe this should have been great, not in the last 15 minutes of the film. Well, and uh, I mean, so yeah, like I, I agree with you because I, I liked the Dick Dastardly stuff. I thought his characterization was fun. I love that he like ultimately really just kind of cared about Muttley, but also was totally using him mm-hmm. like the, the flashback scene where he's explaining how Muttley get tra- got trapped in hell. Cause that is the plot of this film. Uh, he, you know, he's like, Oh, like I told him not to go, but he insisted on it. And it's him like forcing the dog to go through the portal sort of stuff like that all like worked really well for me. I would agree with you, but it doesn't, it could have been its own thing, I think. Yeah, so like that could have been a film. And then the fucking Blue Falcon stuff is its own movie in its own right. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I enjoy... The, this movie is an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. I think the Blue Falcon story and the 12-minute cameo they have in Dexter's Lab back in 1999 is a better representation of Blue, uh, of, of Blue Falcon and, and uh, Dino Mutt. There's a Blue Falcon cameo in Dexter's Lab? There is, because Dexter uh, tampers with Dynomutt and accidentally turns him evil. Uh, and then him and Blue Falcon have to team up and try and stop him. I had no idea. That was my first introduction to Blue Falcon. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, here it is. Oh, that's so yeah. crazy. I didn't realize that was a thing. Uh, yeah. I, but, like, again, I... I like the story they're doing with Blue Falcon. Though. I agree. Idea... I, I I think it's it's hilarious that it's now the son of the Blue Falcon. Yeah. Um, who's and... just kind of this like social media asshole. And I thought that having him voiced by Mark Wahlberg was like on the nose, but in a totally effective way. It here's here's what I realized, especially at the end monologue between him and Dino Mutt. Um he has the exact same storyline as Green Lantern in the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie. 
which I have not seen. That's good. So. To the point of Dynamut even has a, I wrote it down. Dynamut has a line that is almost identical to Carol. And then the, the Green Knight movie, the line is, um, the ring didn't see you. The, the ring didn't see that you were fearless. It saw you had the ability to overcome fear. It saw that you were courageous, which you are. Yeah. I mean, it's basically the same story there. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, I guess the, the sort of like meta element that I thought was super fun was that his dad was like the real hero. And now he's just like this muscled out vainglorious buffoon wearing the suit dealing with like serious imposter syndrome. I love that. Like Shaggy literally points that out to him and uses the phrase imposter syndrome. Yeah. I liked the dino mutt. Uh, was just like constantly annoyed having to work with this absolute bell end. And I, I thought that the casting of Mark Wahlberg there worked like, I, I don't know. I have, I did at the, at, when we first meet him, it's it's like so fucking good because the guy is so vain like he is yeah. marky mark and like i think there's an like an element of mark Wahlberg's persona that is aware of that and like plays it up a little bit but maybe isn't com- aware of it enough to fully justify being i feel like sort of sort of like oh. style of humor like th- this to me kind of reminds me of like my favorite era of the rock when he knew exactly what he was and who he was and he was always playing to some degree against his own characterization. I thought that element here was pretty fun. Yeah. I, I feel like there had to have been a joke that was scrapped of just like a prop in the background where it's uh, a magazine cover with new blue Falcon in just, um, Oh, the Calvin Klein. Yeah. The Calvin Klein. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's the mask and the Calvin Klein the same pose. And I'm like, uh, that has to exact. Someone had to have made that. Um, I'm totally going to look up and see if that's a thing because I'm going to be honest. I want to see it. Uh, I'm sure it's not because I, I paused the movie so much trying to find all the little cameos oh, references. I'm not saying it's in the oh, movie. Yeah, but I'm someone has drawn someone, it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm not seeing it immediately, but I'm, um, I'm going to hunt this down. If I can find myself some inappropriate fan art of the blue falcon and calvin klein's i will share it with the world yeah so so these three films or these three storylines are all completely independent films and all three feel incomplete because they're competing with each other and then don't get me fucking started on the 30 minute detour that is captain caveman yeah he felt the most shoehorned in he it was they spun a wheel of just which character can we put in here to pad out the film, and it just happened to land on Captain Caveman. It could have been Space Ghost. It could have been Hong Kong Fooey. It could have been fucking Jabberjaw. Uh, yeah. The Pussycats would have been hilarious. Uh, uh, Frankenstein Jr. gets a couple references. Yeah, I saw Frankenstein Jr. in the background. Uh, uh, Grape the... Ape could have been in oh, there. Yeah. He's in there. Uh, there's a moment when they're on the run in the music park and they're trying to blockade a door and they use a Hong Kong fooey oh, arcade yeah, game. That fucking made my heart glow. And, and there is a hex girls poster off on the side. Like, did you catch the other poster? Uh, no, what was it? There's a banana splits poster there as well. I don't know the banana splits. Banana splits was their live action show from the sixties. Oh, okay. The Hanna okay, Barbera did. Good. Yeah. Which, which um, had this weird, like horror remake this past year. Uh, oh, that sounds kind of like a, a small indie studio put it out. But yeah. But yeah. Um, 
you know, there, there's lots of little things along the way. Like they're driving through town and there's like a Hannah's restaurant right next to like a Barbera's dry cleaner. It's like li- little, little things like that. I, I, I enjoyed. Yeah. Stuff um, that we loved. I mean, we, we talked forever in teen Titans go to the movies about the little stuff in the backgrounds. Yeah. The, the mustache that is only on for like 12 frames. <laughs> like that kind of humor for fans means so much. And especially when you have this franchise that like so many generations have grown up on, it's something where like, you know, a dad can tell, like a grandfather can tell his grandkid of like, oh, that's a joke from when I was your age. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and I feel like after, after the halfway point of the movie, these, these references didn't exist anymore. Yeah. They they kind of stopped doing the Hanna-Barbera references. They, they they definitely put in other like moments that just feel a little bit weird and out of the blue and like again like like i think at one point like there's just a ludicrous song right just thrown in there for like no reason while they're like trying to fly off in the blue falcon i was like is this ludicrous right now yeah it's oh so he, he was talking about music really quick this is one of the other things it is a staple of scooby-doo properties and and kind of just, of just like action films of the recent to have like a great pop song go on at the beginning of a fight. Yeah. And I was so excited for it because like, you know, when, when they meet, when we finally get to Cerberus, this giant three headed ghost dog. Oh, yeah. Because uh, Dick Jassley is trying to like open a portal to hell to retrieve Muttley. Yeah. And he needs uh, Scooby, who's the descendant of uh, Paratus. Paratus. Yes. Who uh, was Alexander the Great's dog. Mm hmm. Uh, so we're, we're ramping up for this great action sequence and then it's just like pretty like average score still in the background. Yeah. And, and what I think if they wanted to tie in the previous point better, what I think they should have done is like realize that they can't win the fight. And then you have this like music, weird music score come in. And then the pop song comes in and fucking Captain Caveman comes flying in yeah. on like a pterodactyl and, you know, have him be part of this fight. Why isn't he part of this fight? Because he just needed to be there to show that they were, it was going to be like a broader world than yeah. these characters. Yeah, you're right. It, it doesn't fully capitalize on its own potential. Yeah, like all of these could have been 20 minute stories on like the HBO Max, like if like if they did an HBO Max anthology of just like a Hanna Barbera universe, yeah, which I think honestly would be better than what we got now. Like the all three of these, all four of these could have been great, you know, twenty to thirty minute episodes of their own thing. No, I I do agree with you on that. Like this, this felt like it. They were trying to sell a Scooby movie. They were trying to write a Wacky Racers movie and a Blue Falcon movie. They were trying to squeeze in a Captain Caveman story while also trying to just rip off Illumination. Mm -hmm. And in each of those independent things is either good or fine, but as a whole, it is a bit of a jumbled mess. Yeah. Yeah, my, my first note in my notes is just, this isn't a Scooby movie. Warner, you messed up. <laughs> I don't disagree with you on that. I don't disagree at all. Um, I mean, so 
there, I mean, there are, okay, but I do want to talk like some other little things that I did enjoy though. Cause like I, I kind of end this, I finished watching this like, okay, that was fine. Um, and then I was messaging back and forth with my friend Ted and um, he, he had some thoughts, which I'll, we'll kind of get to at the end. Uh, but I was like, okay, I was trying to remember, okay, what are the things that I liked? And so uh, I liked, I actually liked a lot of the humor through here. That's like some pretty fun references. Um, like when Dick Dastley is trying to say who he is to Scooby and he keeps saying, no, my name's Dick. And he goes, Rick, no Dick, Rick. Like, I thought that was pretty fun. Um, I liked when they, when Shaggy and Blue Falcon were trying to escape from the little monsters and Shaggy made a comment how he was going to go drop some F-bombs because he pulled like the Falcon bombs off the, yeah. the belt. Like, I thought that was like a clever little joke. Um, I liked that, was it Dick Dastley refers to Fred as the poor man's Hemsworth? Yeah. And he says and which like, one, Wait. Chris or Liam? Chris or Liam. <laughs> and I was waiting for the like, I was waiting for the Luke drop. <laughs> Yeah, oh, poor Luke Hemsworth. Yeah. Um, but I think the best line in the whole movie, and again, it's from Fred, is when they are trying to track down, when the, the remaining part of the gang is trying to track down Scooby and Shaggy, and Fred lists off this whole like diatribe of information about Blue Falcon, but he also doesn't know what meters are. And Velma <laughs> says, like, how do you know so much about superheroes and know nothing about the metric system? And Fred's response is, because I'm an American male. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there. I, I I plug this show constantly, but there's there's the web show. Um, actually, yes. Uh, where the last question is always life skills, mm-hmm. where they have these very in depth. You know, it's thirty minutes. These incredibly in depth nerdy questions, and then the last question is like, when jumping a car, how do you attach the cords? Positive, negative, negative, positive. No. Yes. No, because you need the negative needs to be grounded. Cameron, when was the last time you jumped a car? Uh, never, but I know that's not right. I did it last week. No, but <laughs> you don't, it's it. not positive, positive, negative, or not negative, positive, negative, whatever, whatever you said. Because you need one of them to be the grounding cord. Yeah, but it, like the thing is, is on some cars, especially older cars, the negative port is basically just a grounding platform anyways. Like the, the negative mount runs from the battery straight to a grounding point on the engine block or the body of the car. Okay, well, mine doesn't because I had someone <laughs> jump my car. <laughs> and they did that and it shot sparks. Yeah. I'm just saying I'm right. Yeah, we're both right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean I, that's one of my favorite aspects of the game is like it's incredibly nerdy. And then, then it's information of like stuff you should probably know. Like one of the questions is like, what is a Roth IRA and why should you open one? Uh, and the, the, the couch is just silent. Silent. <laughs> Yeah, like it's like you just told me which word from The Simpsons has made it into Webster's Dictionary, but you can't tell me what a Roth IRA is. Um, isn't it a, a Roth IRA is when it takes the money out pre-tax and then it's taxed at the point when you withdraw it? Or is it the I other have way no idea. That's that 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 sounds right. <laughs> I don't know. I just learned these things and have subsequently forgot them. Yeah, <laughs> but. Um, so I know I liked some of the humor in there. I liked the moment when Scooby and Shaggy are on the run from the robots, the bowling alley, and they jump behind the counter and they like do their famous bit of like pretending to work at a, a restaurant. Yes, I loved that. Like that, that felt the most genuine Scooby Doo. Yeah, I love that moment. I love when the uh, mystery machine gets destroyed and Fred gets really pissed off and he grabs the the spare tire mount, the flower on it, like a shield, and then yes. he pulls an ascot out of nowhere and ties it on. I'm like, yes. 
the ascot came back it was gone within like 30 seconds but the fact that they like gave a moment to the ascot i thought was really fun and clever i think i think my line my favorite line of the film um was the bowling alley person talking to to the gang oh, of where yeah. scooby and shaggy went it's like there was this talking dog and then this gangly dude that has a habit of saying uh, the word like at the start of every sentence, almost as if you were almost as if a middle aged man had the idea of how a hippie would talk. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's so good. See, like, that's the thing is, I, 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 I feel like the the writers had something clever here and were stuck trying to make a different kind of movie. And, it was and a committee think, film. It was it was definitely like yeah. a movie by committee. And, and I think that, you know, there, it's kind of famously that's what happened to James Gunn on the first live action Scooby-Doo movie where it's like he wrote a, a script that was a little bit darker, more satirical, more self-aware. Um, and it got a little bit muted um, over the course of the, the production and by studio notes. And I, and I think I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and that's why it becoming <laughs> a stupid, obscene, <laughs> asinine mess. Um. And I, I think there's an element of that here as well, where it's like, I, I think the the elements of some really good stories are in here, but they're not there, which like leads to overall, the way I felt about this movie is the way I felt about like, this is an unfavorable comparison, but the Ghostbusters reboot, okay, which, which is, I watched the movie and I'm like, okay, I don't really like this. I think when it's being its own thing, it's better than when it's trying to remind you that a better Ghostbusters film exists. But I like enough of this world and these characters that I would like to see a second movie that isn't so committee driven to make it palatable for everyone. And that's how I feel about this. Like, I hope this does well enough that we get to see a sequel that focuses a little bit more just on Scooby and the gang. Cause I like the characterizations of them enough here to want to see more. I would love to see the spinoff into like a wacky racers movie or uh, in particular wacky racers movie, but also maybe a blue Falcon movie. I would love to see, you know, maybe they get a blue Falcon movie where he teams up with Hong Kong Fui or something like that, or like El Kabang or something like whatever. <laughs> Fucking twit. I, I, I want to see, more from this world because i got enough here that i liked but i didn't necessarily like this yeah and so another thing that frustrates me about this is is i i, I agree I, I think this does obviously this is the jumping off point for a greater universe we think or and I, 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 I yeah i assume the numbers will be there because similar to trolls there's nothing else to do this weekend it's absolutely true except watch avatar which is back on netflix if it's on netflix um but what frustrates me about this is we have a fucking template already set up from the what is it, 1970s Scooby-Doo go to the movies or whatever the fucking uh, Scooby-Doo movies, the Scooby-Doo yeah. movies. That's what it is, where you have the gang meets, you know, meets celebrity guest A. The gang is following, you know, storyline B. Celebrity guest comes in with storyline A. And then the two, you know, A and B storylines intertwine and it's solved in a nice 20 minute package. Mm -hmm. How can't they, why can't they just do that? Why couldn't that have just been the Blue Falcon thing? Because it does, like, I don't understand why they needed to separate the Scooby gang for so long. Because, like, that, I, that's, that made me so upset of, like, they were together as adults. They were together 
not even six minutes. Yeah, I know. But okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate here slightly. How dare you? Uh, while while you have your your release a Snyder cut esque rant. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I honestly think like if they would have added one scene at the beginning, that I could have been fine passing that note off. Where you just open, so you have the the opening shot, you have the montage, and then go to the opening of the live action Scooby Doo film, where it's the gang kind of at each other's throats trying to solve a mystery. See, the the problem with that is it's already been done. And yeah, I but think, it's it's so good. But the Joker's the, already been done. Batman's already been done. Yeah, but also like we keep seeing diminishing returns when they keep trying to do more of the same stuff. And I think their intent here was to try and give us something different. I don't I I agree with you that in doing that it didn't really give us a Scooby movie even though that's how they advertised it. Okay, well then I'll we'll move your phrase. Instead of doing it exactly like it was in the first one, lessen that idea, but now it's just a rift between the gang and Scooby and Shaggy. So it's no longer all of them fighting each other. Now there's a clear divide between the three and the two. And then you have celebrity guests. It's not Simon Cowell come in. Literally anybody else. And, and literally anybody else. Come but, in yeah. and then just kind of like accentuate that that divide, which the, makes, you know, which makes the, the idea of the two wanting to go join another team more palpable. I think the reason they didn't do that was because at the end of the day, the divide between Scooby and Shaggy was like the crux of the whole movie. And like yeah, that's, but, but then you can play, you know, then focus it on Shaggy a little bit more. Like you've seen him at his lowest and his fear is going back to that isolation again. Yeah. And that's like what he does here is that he like, he goes back to that place and he becomes like really like petty and difficult. And he kind of ends up becoming part of the problem. Like, look, I don't, it's not great. I'm just saying, like, I, I, I don't necessarily like the choices they make, but I understand why they made them. Stop being rational. <laughs> Fucking fight me. <laughs> it's, but it's just so much more fun this way, Cameron. It's so much more fun <laughs> to give your bluster nothing to fight against. <laughs> um, here, do you want me to say some things I didn't like? Sure. Okay. Uh, I hated they did the beam in the sky moment. Yeah. This one was green, not blue. Um, I hated that the movie ended in a really bizarre dance sequence with Blue Falcon as a DJ. Yeah. That felt very Illumination. Um, I, one of the notes, like I said earlier, it was just ludicrous, question mark. Actually, I have that twice on here. <laughs> ludicrous, question mark. Um, and I think, I think sometimes their jokes were a little bit on the nose. So, like, there's that moment when, is it, I think it's what, Blue Falcon and Fred are having an argument and, like, Velma's trying to break it up and just literally just says the line, toxic masculinity, like, like off con, like, out of context. Like, yeah. okay. You, you already hit the nail on the head. Like, that's what is we're seeing here is, like, two versions of toxic masculinity butting against each other. We didn't necessarily need to have someone literally say the phrase. Yeah, um, but I mean, I feel like that lines up with Warner Brother animation humor. Like that's something I, I could I could hear Starfire saying to Robin um, in there or like, you know, some kind of mansplain joke from Raven to Robin and in, in Teen Titans go to the movies. <laughs> that's true. I feel like at some point Teen Titans go must have used the phrase Robin's plane. Yeah. They must oh, for have. sure. <laughs> or Dick's plane, but that might be a different thing entirely. Um 
Yeah, it look it. I don't know. It didn't. It didn't necessarily land entirely for me. But I was like, I I ended up giving it three stars on my movie rating app. I was like, it's 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 fine. I think it's a decent kids movie. And I think in the day I was part like, okay, you know what? This movie wasn't made for you and I, and that's fine. <laughs> but it should have been. So I, I think, here's here here are my comparisons and why I think this movie doesn't do well. Okay. Because as we've made this joke a couple times, Illumination, Illumination just put out their own remake of a classic story in this past six months with the Adams family. Oh, which I didn't bother seeing because it looked oh. Which again, I honest honestly, uh, I think the Adams family did their did their source material more service than what this did. I mean, that's not a stretch considering like I don't think they did a particularly good. I think they did 15 minutes of great Scooby content and then skip the rest of it. Yeah. I, so I, I, I was comparing it to that. And then weirdly enough, I was comparing it a lot to the Sonic movie we just got. Okay. Which I haven't seen yet. Um, and I think, I mean, this, this is more praise to the actor than, than hurt to the movie. I think a live action Jim Carrey was more cartoonish than this cartoon Dick Dastardly. Well, Ah, ooh, now you're going after Dick Dastardly, and I'm I'm gonna I have a problem with that. I love Dick Dastardly. I, I did too, but I feel like one I I missed his hat. I I missed his outfit. He has a hat. That's right. I yeah. He forgot he had a hat. <laughs> I love I love that that sets you off. Because <laughs> his look was off. His look was so generic villain that like the fact that. You know, a live action character is more of a cartoon character than this character. Like that was a little that was a little frustrating. I would agree with you that his look is a little bit generic, but I thought at least his characterization was fun. Yes. Um, oh God, I had so many problems with this film. So okay, here, here's here's why I'm kind of giving this movie a bit of a pass. Mm-hmm. Is I think it succeeds at what it was attempting to do. I just don't necessarily love what it was attempting to do, but like it hangs on its own as a like Hanna-Barbera universe intro movie with familiar characters. Like, I don't think like it is not, I think what either of us were hoping for or expected, but I wouldn't call this movie a mess. Like it holds together, even if it's not what we wanted because it's ultimately just like meant for kids and to introduce these characters. And so like, that's why I'll give it a pass is that it it's, it's fine. Like it works as a film. It has things that I don't love about it, but I can also totally see why some people would watch this and go like, Oh yeah. Like I really enjoyed it because it's either what they wanted it to be or because they were surprised. Like, I know I'll get to like uh, Ted's review, but like he liked it because he liked that it. it wasn't what he was expecting it to be. Like, you know, I just rewatched, as I referenced last week, Star Wars Episode Nine, which is actually a, like, nestle made, incoherent, stupid film. To me, that's not what this is. This is totally serviceable. It's just not great. So I'll give it a pass. Yeah. And I, I think if they would have done some sort of, tit- even just changing the title, to not be a Scooby, not call it a Scooby-Doo film. Do yeah. the same thing they did with Birds of Prey, colon... The Emancipation of One Fantastic Harley Quinn or whatever Fantabulous. the title. Fantabulous. I was so close. <laughs> um, like, just even that of, like, have, you know, what, what's the, the comic called Future Quest, um, which is the Hanna-Barbera's comic verse. Yeah. You know, just call it 
something grander, you know, future quest Scooby-Doo tries to get a fucking sponsorship. I, and I think ultimately, because I, I, I agree with you that it, it was calling it Scoob is sort of a misdirect of, of, in a lot of ways. And I think it's interesting. You also reference like birds of prey, because I think those are two movies that were definitely trying to sell the movie on a particular thing to some degree at the expense of what made it more interesting to say, like a more established fan. Like, I think you and I were probably both more excited to go into birds of prey because we like the birds of prey as a team. And we want to see those characters maybe more so than Harley, because we have Harley that we love in Batman animated series and in her new show. And so I was like, Oh, like I don't necessarily need like a whole Harley movie. I would love to see birds of prey because birds of prey never get any sort of screen time and love. Right. But you know, I have other friends like, my friend Sav, who loves Birds of Prey because it is a really a Harley movie and loves the Harley aspect of it. And I think something similar happened here where they had to hang it on something familiar so they hung it on Scoob. And it just wasn't actually really a Scooby-Doo movie. And I think that just speaks to the fact that studios now have to play safe bets. They always have to play safe bets because risky things are exactly that risky. And because so many of their like the revenue streams these rely upon like you know home video being a huge huge element of that and also you know box office take those are diminishing so now when they put out a movie they have to bank on it being successful and so it's kind of one of those things where if like i said if this movie spins off into multiple things i will forgive this movie's existence because it opened the door for that sort of stuff it depends on how good the spinoffs are if we get Fair. another, like, fucking bullshit, I don't even want to be mad about this because I would love to see Al Kabong and, like, anyone else. Like, Al oh, Kabong. Al Kabong and Underdog <laughs> and Hong Kong Fooey team up. Uh, like, I wouldn't be mad about that at all. Until it comes out, then you're mad about it. Yeah, until it comes out. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't want this to be the bar, and that's my fear with the other films is like, okay, we did this and we kind of cut some corners and we still made this much money, which means we can cut the same corners in the next film and still make the same amount of money. I don't think they saw it as cutting corners though. Well, I see it as that. Well, I know that's why I'm continuing to play devil's advocate, but I mean, okay. So here's ultimately what it comes down to. Like, cause I totally understand why you didn't like it being the, the, uh, the diehard Scooby fan that you are, the, <laughs> Not a diehard, just a good fan. Just a decent, <laughs> above-average fan. I mean, I'm not going to go and enter any, like, Scooby-Doo trivia contest at Comic-Con. I mean, wait, have you done that before? No, I've only entered Avatar con or Avatar trivia contest. I mean, if there were a Scooby-Doo trivia contest, would you enter it? No, I'd watch. I wouldn't enter. Okay. I, I'm just going to say that, you know, maybe uh, maybe most evidence is supported to you being uh, kind of a hardcore fan. But no, we'll, we'll take your word for it, Cameron. We'll totally take your word for it. You're just a, a totally... Totally casual fan that was slightly upset when, above when Shaggy average. Was it portrayed accurately? We'll just take it. Slightly casual. above average fan. So here's also what it comes down to. Would you recommend this movie to somebody else? Like if, if they just wanted a fun movie to be distracted by for a little bit, like they like Scooby, but they're not necessarily like big fans of the show or anything like that. They're just looking for something fun to watch, possibly their kids. Would you recommend it to them? No. Okay. See, I, I, would. I would recommend 
any of the other straight-to-DVD Scooby-Doo films, starting with Scooby-Doo Cyber Chase. Nope, even before that. Starting with Scooby-Doo Zombie Island from 1997 or 98. Total low-key Scooby-Doo <laughs> fan over here. <laughs> I would start there and then have them watch all of the straight-to-DVD films up until... Uh, up through, I'll, I'll include this one because it's actually a pretty good one. Up through when John Cena um, helps out the Scooby Gang. Fantastic. So we got that. Cyber Chase in there, which I still think is is maybe the peak of Scooby Doo movies. Um, we have the one where they go to Hawaii and there's the the volcano monster. Mm-hmm. Um, oh god, what are the other ones? Alien Invasion is a great one from 2001 or 2002. Yeah, I, I, would, I would give them this catalog before okay. giving them this. And then obviously the first and only the first live action film. No, you got to include the second one, the superior film. Uh, <laughs> here's what I'm starting to realize, Cameron. I feel like our, our episodes are never more contentious than when they were about Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Maybe we should abandon the DCAU entirely and just really create a podcast just called the Scooby-Doo Bait. No, because I would I would get so angry. Like, I'm already exhausted right now. It, it would end up with you in a mental institute. Yeah, I'm, I'm Actually, already so tired. What what I love is what would happen if you and I started a podcast about Scooby-Doo is you would eventually morph into a Scooby-Doo villain. Like you would eventually realize the only way to like ease the pain would be to try and sabotage Warner Brothers by becoming like the ghost of Jack Warner haunting the lot. Yeah. And systematically trying to destroy any and all Scooby-Doo new content. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, now I kind of want to see this happen. Um, All right. I'll, uh, I'm going to list off a couple of the references that I caught. Okay. Um, there was a very, very small one in the background, and I knew I recognized the character, but I had to Google who it was. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a billboard for Squiddly Diddly. Oh, okay. The name sounds familiar. It was an octopus of from course. the 1960s Hanna Barbera verse. As we mentioned before, there was a Hong Kong Fui arcade cabinet. A Hex Girls poster, a Banana Splits poster, and a Frankenstein Jr. arcade cabinet. Mm -hmm. um, in the end credits, which I think was kind of their opening to the grander universe, um, we had an Adam Ant cameo, who I'm not a big fan of the, this version of the costume. Oh, yeah. He looks just like Ant-Man. He did look just like Ant-Man. I was thrown a little bit. Uh, we saw some Jabberjaw in there. We saw Captain Caveman come back. We saw Grape Ape. We had a Johnny Quest little cameo in yeah. there. Now, okay, so because we saw a Doctor Quest, and then mm -hmm. I feel like a couple panels later, they showed someone getting taken away in handcuffs, and it looked a lot like Doctor Quest. Uh, is that the is that what happens in Johnny Quest? Doesn't his dad get taken, and that's why he's? But also, like that would imply that he's the villain. But I, I may have missed. No, I mean no. There, there are stories where the dad gets captured, and it's um, you know, he's unrightfully detained okay i mean he was getting captured by scooby and the gang but oh. I, I may, no, I, may I, have I think the there, i think there was someone else yeah that wouldn't make sense if it was with him um like. we saw in the background um the actual dick dastardly and uh Muttley outfits 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another Frankenstein Jr. cameo in there. Uh, <laughs> we got a great moment when they're in like the, um, was it Messick Mountain where the uh, cave uh, Captain Caveman lives where someone like um, blow, this is going to sound strangely phrased, blows a turtle like it was a uh, like a trumpet. Oh, and it's a reference like, to uh, uh, the Flintstones. Flintstones fashion. Uh, there was another Flintstones reference that I'm trying to remember. Uh, apparently there's a, a porch, like silhouette porches of Fred and Wilma in the uh, the haunted house at the beginning. Yeah. Um, there was something, oh, um, someone is named or someone yells out a name that is Wilma's maiden name. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's like Rock Hall or something weird like that. Oh, okay. I mean, look, they, they they packed in some like fun little nods here and there. Oh, and then, and then at the end, we had a, a reference to ghost, uh, ghost of Captain Cutler, who was uh, one of the one of the great uh, Scooby Doo are you villains? Oh yeah, was he the um, the guy in the diving suit? Yes, yes. Ah, oh, great episode. Mm-hmm. Classic. Uh, okay, well. Cameron, have you? Do you feel like you've gotten out your your frustrations? No, yeah. I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we go I, ahead and land this blue falcon then? I want to re. Oh, that 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 was one of the really cool things that I forgot to mention. Uh, the way the blue falcon lands actually really cool in the movie. Oh yeah, it's got like uh, like it's got like actual like falcon. Legs. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of pop out at the beginning there. Um, no, it's like it's 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 totally fine. Uh, yeah, I like want to rewrite it. Of course um, you do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have time. You have time during lockdown, Cameron. You can yeah. you can rewrite your 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 fan spec. My ideal intro to the Hanna Barbera verse. You can start your hashtag hashtag release the Scooby cut. Yeah. Do you even start like I understand why they start with Scooby. Like I'm trying to think if there was another place you could start this universe and like have right. scooby be the big okay we'll get into that later I'll, I'll let you i'll let you ponder that and maybe I'll, we'll do a segment on the next episode uh but like i said i did reach out to my uh my good friend ted um because i know he was super excited for this movie and i'm like okay let me get another person's perspective in case either mm-hmm. one of us hated it uh and he said and i'm not saying this to start an argument cameron i'm just oh, i'm putting fucking out another, putting the person's opinion, right now another person's opinion uh he said he, i loved it uh, I liked that they got all the fan service out of the way and then played against expectations. It did something new. Uh, the opening sequence was flawless, which I 100% agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, and though there wasn't a big mystery to solve, it focused on the relationship of Scooby and Shaggy, uh, integrated a big world and built on where it could go. We've seen plenty of Scooby movies where they ripped the mask off at the end. Uh, this was something bigger. And I, I would agree with all of those uh, statements. He also said that uh, Tracy Morgan as Captain Caveman was great, but they needed to give him more. So, yeah, I, I would agree with all of those things, um, but it's it's at the end of the day, it's totally fine. So, uh, but I'm very curious if anyone who actually listened to this also watched the movie. <laughs> and I, I would really love to know what other people thought about this. I, I, I think it's it's going to be an interesting film in a lot of ways in terms of um, what comes like where it could possibly lead with scooby-doo as a as a franchise as a property also just in terms of the rest of hanna-barbera what what I mean, is the next hanna-barbera thing you would want to come out of this yeah i mean because they have a, a huge huge back catalog well, i'm also asking that to you chris oh, as well as the I fans yes um i because we, we've talked about hanna-barbera a little bit here and there i the show that i've probably seen the most outside of scooby-doo would have been um joe seeing the pussycats in space specifically the version of them in space okay 
I think that could be something kind of fun to do. I, I've always loved Johnny Quest, though. I feel like Johnny Quest is a property that they have tried to make work a few times and never really got it off the ground. So I would love to see them do something with that. I um, agree. I, I feel Johnny Quest is a better glue franchise than Scooby is. Yeah. Because Johnny Quest, they can go anywhere. You can have an episode of them or an, a movie of them in space, them underwater. Yeah. Where Scooby is, is kind of landlocked and also yeah. in kind of like a specific decade. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think Johnny Quest has the advantage of being able to like go anywhere and do anything and see anyone. And so it, that broader world allows them to to have more things pop up here and there. Mm-hmm. So, um, But also, I, I really love Underdog. So I would love to see like another take. Did you ever watch the live action one? I didn't. I couldn't do it because I I, I like Jason Lee a lot as an actor. I just, I couldn't watch a movie that that didn't have like that distinct underdog voice to it. Um, Just didn't, didn't work for me. But um, no, I mean, there are definitely things I would like to see come out of this. Um, But yeah, I would love to hear what, uh, what other people thought. So if you have your thoughts on Scooby-Doo, if you're more in my uh, kind of ambivalent camp or if you're more in Ted's positive camp or if you're more Cameron's rage-filled pit of despair. Yes. You Ruined can, my weekend. Yes. You could write to us at TimTalkPod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. And wait, you wait, wait I, I, forgot, I forgot I had a note. From, God damn it, Cameron. I'm on a Maddie. roll here. <laughs> I apologize. I forgot Maddie messaged me. I'm wrapping me, this shit up. Uh, and he said on the DC Universe app, uh, basically every Scooby-Doo comic that's ever been out is up for free right now. Uh, oh, so nice. So if anyone has, it was on DC Universe, it's free. Uh, and read DC, Comixology, Amazon Kindle, and Apple Books. Um, they are free until September 7th if you want to check out some Scooby-Doo comics. Oh, nice. Except for that uh, Scooby Apocalypse comic. It's supposed to be really good. Yeah. Was that on there? I I don't know. Don't take this. Uh, but yeah, that that's thanks, Maddie. Okay. Can I finish now? Can I be done? Yeah, sure. <laughs> One more thing. No, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you can find me at Lord of Her on Twitter and Instagram. Cameron, wh- where can they find you and send you uh, messages of condolence? If you want to, if you want to send some spec scripts, some some better <laughs> ideas of Hanna Barbera stuff. I really think an anthology should happen over a a whatever. We'll get into that later. Uh, you can I don't find, disagree with you. Uh, that's a good idea. You can find my art at Cameron.Dexter, and you can find my face at CamDexter underscore Adventures. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, yeah, thanks for going with us on this bonus episode, uh, our, fu- our first ever and possibly last ever full episode dedicated to Scooby-Doo. Um, but we will be things. back. We'll be back next week with our 150th official episode uh, with what's – it's the League of Their Own, right? I think it's Yes, we're, we're going slightly out of order yes. by one episode. Yeah, because, so we can do kind of a, a bigger episode for our 150th, which will yeah, be very Yeah, and it's uh, our podcast, fun. and we can do what we want, so fuck you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Years from now, when we're visiting you in an insane asylum, people ask me, like, Chris, what, God, what was it? What finally <laughs> pushed Cameron over the edge? I'm like, well, it was when they released Scoob, Scoob. during the middle of the quarantine. Cameron just couldn't handle it anymore. <laughs> just... This whole world came crumbling down. Uh, yeah. At least I have Avatar back on Netflix. At least you have Avatar. Maybe that'll bring you back to life. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but until then, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, and go enjoy your lives. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye. Bye.